let's make it a metaphor for what we're all doing. We got to keep going no matter what. If we're closing a small space, we keep going. If we're isolated from everybody else, we keep going. We keep in touch. We even make friends with the fellow prisoners, right? So let's uh, make that a metaphor for a COVID-19 response. We're going to keep in touch virtually. We're going to go out and do our workouts. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. This is Anne. Hello, hello. This is Ali, webmaster at Great Hill Track Club. <laughs> what is um, your title, Anne? What is your new title? My new title is Director of Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> director of everything. Director making, of behind the scenes. Making uh, of Great Hill Track Club. Yeah. Well, we have a lot to talk about. We do. Like, yeah. Um, so we missed a week for a specific episode and then we thought that uh, we're busy setting up our new track club. So we want to talk about that um, track club running group. Um, and we have a guest we would love to introduce who can actually tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Let's, should we let him introduce himself? Yeah, this is the, coach of the Great Hill Track Club. I've been on this podcast before. This is Stuart Calderwood and uh, here with my best two friends who are in this uh, new venture with me, unfortunately delayed as almost everything else in the world seems to be. But, uh, but we're gonna start up when we can, when they let groups of people congregate again. Uh, and the Great Hill Track Club is gonna be starting off with morning workouts in the Central Park vicinity, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6 a.m. with Coach Ann leading the fast people for some of them. And, uh, several other coaches that we think very highly of we've invited to be part of that. Um, we named our group for the steepest, toughest hill in Central Park because, you know, we're distance runners, we like challenges and we can use those, we can use those hills. We're the kind of people when there's the way over just the Harlem Hill, but there's that little pedestrian path off to the left that goes up an even steeper thing. We go, maybe we should do that. And that's what I wanted to name that for, the choice to do something tougher voluntarily. So, I did that today. Plus, it's a great hill, you know. <laughs> yeah, you ran up with the. Did you run up the great hill for the first time since that was our name? I did, and I could not believe it. Just felt like it kept extending and extending. <laughs> Were you coming from the north or the south? The from the, from one hundred eight. Oh, oh, from the was Street. kind of halfway up already. See, that's the longer one. That's not quite as steep. Yes. Yeah, and the other way from the south is more winding and has the stairs. Right. You kind of circumvent the stairs, but um, yeah, it's got like double false peak at, at least. Yes. <laughs> Those trash cans seem so far away. <laughs> right. Can you talk a little bit more about the name? You said that Great Hill being, you know, it's something really tough to do and runners like to do tough things, but it's also, I've heard that hill workouts are like speed workouts in disguise. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, well, they're not even in disguise. If you're doing hill repeats, they're definitely speed work made tougher by putting, being put on an angle. But um, hills are really, really useful in a bunch of ways. One, one way Anne found out is races that are hilly, you can't really train for hills except by running hills. And the strange part about it is almost nobody practices running downhills. They usually use a downhill as a recovery for having just run up a hill hard. But a race like the Boston Marathon, for instance, that a lot of people are getting 
ready for later than they thought they were. It's now going to be in October, right? September. Uh, oh, that's September. September. London in October. Mm -hmm. um, the downhills on the Boston course come very early in the race and, and put a lot of extra strain on the quadricep muscles. And then when people get to the uphill parts, they actually almost prefer sometimes running up to down because their quads are pretty st stressed out and thrashed feeling and they get beat up to the point where they don't work too well when you're running down the hill. And the last six miles of Boston, I used to wish were flat, but they're actually a little bit down because that felt harder on my legs than the flat would. And the recovery from Boston was always tougher than after other marathons. And I think that's because of that little muscle tear damage that you get from running down a hill, especially with the eccentric contractions of slowing your lower leg down as you plant it on a downhill. So running downhills fast, actually as intervals, interval workouts, is valuable to me, and I found it translates over well. What did you think, Anne? We did those before Boston last two years oh, ago. Definitely, definitely. It's not something, it didn't occur to me naturally to do that, but it was very helpful, very helpful. Well, you've got basically four half-mile, fairly steep downhills between miles 16 and 21 in Boston, whereas everybody talks about Heartbreak Hill, but that's the fourth of the uphills. The four downhills are challenging, too. Yeah. They make you go faster, but they also exact the toll, right? They, they, they make you pay back something because of how much they, they make you catch yourself with your leg muscles and slow yeah. yourself down, really. So, yeah. So, That's anyway. Actually one thing that I found the most useful for the downhill training was learning how to run without overstriding because it's easy to overstride yeah. downhill, and that's really bad for you. And how, to, and how at the same time not to put the brakes on. Yeah or too much anyway, and to run relaxed on the downhill. Yeah, yeah, very valuable. Um, so the hill as a physical thing is really valuable um, to, to run up and to run down, and especially if the, the races that you're getting ready for are on hills. But metaphorically, I like the idea of, you know, everyone thinks of a conquest of a mountain as being a big, you know, something to go after in real life, but also is used as a metaphor all the time, like, you know, have you conquered that mountain yet in some other way? And, you know, this is, this is a group that we hope likes challenges and that um, physical ones as well as, you know, mental and emotional ones. And, and uh, we'd like to, to symbolize the, those challenges with a steep, tough hill, even tougher than it should be because it's got those twists and turns which make you not quite know where the end is while you're going. So you have to have a lot of faith in yourself. And it was specifically valuable to me because um, I would run home from the lower part of Manhattan to where I used to live, 109th Street, and would pass the, the on-ramp, so to speak, to that hill and would always have the choice. Do I do the tough hill or do I not? And I made myself choose the tough hill, even though I didn't really want to. I thought, this is the kind of thing you have to get in the habit of doing. You know, Take, take the hard road, <laughs> so to speak, or the high road. And, um, and then I started timing it, of course. You know, So then it became this, this challenge to break a minute on the stupid thing from uh, from the little wooden footbridge on the south end of the hill up to the great hill track itself and uh, when I got under a minute I was very very pleased it's funny how your best races can sometimes be things that nobody ever knows about except you <laughs> until you publicize them on chill track Friday but, uh, but here yeah I'm throwing that out as a challenge try to beat a minute on that hill from the wooden footbridge to the great hill track itself and then the other thing we have to talk about is that track so people are asking us about the Great Hill Track Club. Well, you know, what's this track club thing? Are you going to run track races? 
No, I mean, we hope to maybe get people into track a little bit. I always like that, trying to shift the emphasis from completely on road racing over to track and cross country, which are in some ways just as pure or, le or more pure forms of the sport. But the Great Hill Track, which is the only track in Central Park, unless you count the Reservoir Lab, um, it is designed to be a track, but whoever designed it had a very creative view of what a track was because <laughs> not only is it not the right length, I mean, it's about 350 yards, we figured out, and that nicely makes about exactly five laps to the mile. But it also has a definite little incline on one side of it. There's a little hill in that track. Plus, it has no straightaway to speak of. There's really nothing but curve, which is not the usual case for the track. But nevertheless, it, it is a track, not too fast. Although, have either of you, as I have, encountered people who think they're running 400s on the track? <laughs> no. I've never, I've never run across anyone, but I've heard many stories. So can you share some? Well, just that I was talking some years ago to somebody who ran workouts on that track and was telling me how he, he ran, you know, a six-minute mile pace for, for his runs on the track. And I was kind of surprised just from looking at the person that he would be that fast, you know, that much faster than I was. And I said, really? That, that, like, how many laps is that mile that you're doing on the track? Well, four laps is a mile. You, you know four <laughs> laps is a mile. Yeah, uh, on a regular track, it's four laps. And, you know, I, I had to tell him that time. The other person I encountered, I couldn't bring myself to tell this woman that she was only running, you know, a fifth of a mile per lap instead of a fourth. But this guy, I had to say, uh, you know, that's actually a 350-yard track you're running on. That's a very hard blow to take. And you think you're running a six-minute pace, and really it's more like 730 but yeah, I think we might actually have to do some workouts there. I mean, there's no track of the normal kind in Central Park, and we'd like to maybe have the first ever track workouts in Central Park, or formal ones anyway. Where uh, so you know it's easier on the coach. I can just stand there in the middle and watch everybody. I don't actually have to run with people. <laughs> you got to get up there if you want to see people to do the laps. So. Oh yeah, we'll have to get up the hill somehow. That's true. Very true. Yeah, so yeah, we'll have access to more of the park, you know, um, in the various workouts I've run in Central Park, we've usually been confined either to starting at Engineers Gate or starting at the southern, western end of the park. And now with a going to plan on having our workouts take an hour and a half total with the running and the warm up and the cool down um, so that we won't be so limited in how far we can get in our workout period. And also starting at 72nd Street, where we will be, will be very central and can get to the Northern Hills and get to the reservoir and all of the bridal path, as well as the lower loop if you want to do that, and over to the river and other places, but more of a, you know, universal access type of a, a starting point. So I'm pleased about that. And now when we start <laughs> trying to find good things about uh, having the delay, right, it'll be lighter out in the mornings when we start so we can use those trails. For so Speaking of workouts, can we talk to you a little bit about what people should be doing now that races are postponed until the fall? Or? Yeah, it's such a strange situation. Yeah. Unprecedented. I mean, who, when has anything like this happened? I really feel bad for the college and high school runners whose entire seasons have been stopped. You know, and they, unlike, you know, Boston Marathon, okay, they'll run it in September. Everybody still gets to run who's training for it. 
Maybe even some people who are injured will be glad for the delay and will get in better shape. But those school teams, kids, don't get their seasons back ever. You know, their they're last years of high school, say, or their, you know, big year of college where their team's going for a national championship. It's just not happening. You know, they won't get to make that up somehow. But, you know, the road running scene, a little better. We, we're going to have races at some point, and many of the big marathons will be postponed but still go on. But, yeah, what do you do if you're just ready? Well, and you're a perfect example. You're getting ready for London. It's about a month away now. It's been postponed till October 4th. So here you are having done your 20 milers, you've done your long intervals, you've got your peak mileage weeks, and no race. It's got to be really sort of an empty feeling, right? And so what I'm recommending is when people are in that situation that you don't go back to zero, you probably have made some progress in your whole running career to get ready for this big marathon, especially if like you, you're you know, not a really old timer marathoner, you've only run about five of them. So um, you know, you're gonna go back to a base of say, your lower mileage week right now of the two, if you're alternating a high and a low, I would stick with the lower week you know, do away with the 20 milers, but don't let it go down below, say, 13. You know, keep a 13-mile run in your week, every other week. Um, say you were running between 45 and 55. You know, go to the 45 as your base, and now maybe the high week goes up to 50 or a little less. And keep some sort of a speed workout in your week. Maybe not the kind of intense ones that you were just doing, like I know you did three times a two-mile, which is no joke. But something like, you know, five times two minutes on, two minutes off, or eight times a 400 with a 200 jog, or, you know, go to a hill like a Cat Hill or a Harlem Hill and do five repeats. Something where you keep that turnover and you keep your anaerobic work going so that you don't come back to that from a big, big layoff and have to deal with all that, you know, beginner sort of, oh my gosh, how can I have ever run sub six minute pace in an interval workout before? You keep those in your program, keep the strides, keep the drills, you know, but, but all back to the, the kind of effort that doesn't make you think, how can I maintain this for any more weeks, you know, which is the sort of the, the marathoner with a month to go almost always gets to that point, right? Kind of like, thank goodness the taper is coming because I have like two more weeks and I'm either going to burn out completely or get injured. And so you don't want to get anywhere near that for a while. But but maybe your base has gone up because of how good this buildup has been. So you don't go back to square one, you go back to square three or so out of 10. You go, go back to where you can get to where you are now much more easily when the race does appear finally. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great advice. And then what if you're like Ali and you're doing a lot of cross training because you're not getting ready for a race right away. There's no, nothing has to be, uh, changed about that kind of program. Ali, didn't you do some insane push-up and pull-up workout? When was that, today? Yeah, uh, yeah, so I'm actually not running right now, just recovering from an injury, so I'm mostly doing sort of strength workouts. So people who have done the P90X program, they're probably familiar with that. So today was sort of a upper body strength workout, just uh, like 35 minutes of push-ups and pull-ups. Um, and during the week, they sort of change. Um, it's not harder than 35 minutes of running, I have a feeling. Yeah. Uh, depends. <laughs> uh, I have been actually quite good about that, not just now. Even when I was running, I was doing that regularly. So now the effort feels, even between all of the P90X workouts, it's pretty good. 
Um, but I think it's, it, it's a great way to do something at home. It's a great thing to do something right. at home, right? Like, right. Uh, like while you're not able to do Quarantine, you can always do push-ups and pull-ups if you've got the pull-up bar, right? And, and some of us live with uh, giant French bulldogs that they could do curls with or something, probably. Yeah, absolutely. It's very easy to pick them up and do squats with. So if you don't have weights at home, <laughs> I do Frenchy squats. Are you balance board? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, well, Frenchies I wouldn't want to risk pregnant. my dog at all for that. But uh, I, I do Frenchy squats all the time. It's <laughs> about 27 pounds. <laughs> you know, a set of 30 squats with a 27 pounder in your hands. It's a, uh, it's, you know, it, you get a good burn out of that. No kidding. Wow. You won't have to worry about the downhills in Boston. You have to, you'll be a quadzilla as they put it. Yeah. And, and speaking of doing workouts, like wherever you are. So on our great Hill track club, Facebook page, some people posted some questions for you. And one of them said, this is from our coach, Bobby Asher. And it said, um, what did it say? Let me find it. It's like, Coach Stewart, for those of us in quarantine, I think all of us, uh, can you humor us with your passport story? What? Passport story? Hey, man. You mean the... Oh, I know what he's talking about. Oh, didn't I always do, already do this on Chill Track Friday? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think this was in... Or may, it may have been, but, you know, well, it's right. back there. Yeah. This is more so relevant right now. I'm coming back from a trip in Europe to watch the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona. And some, uh, as they said at the time, it was also the Olympics of pickpocketing. All the best in the world showed up. Yeah. And uh, there were an awful lot of pickpockets uh, in Barcelona. And one of them got my little waist belt uh, opened up and back behind me and got my passport and whatever else was in there. And so I went to the police and got a spanish language police report which i was told would serve as a passport to get me out of the country and indeed it did there was no problem at all getting into france but from france to england was a different story when i when i got off the boat in dover after coming from calais uh, i was asked for my passport and enter britain and i didn't have one and they didn't like my spanish language police report so uh I was on a bicycle trip in general, you know, other than the boat rides, I was on a bike. So uh, I was going to ride from there to the London area um, where I had some friends and I had left my airplane ticket with those friends. So coincidentally, so I wouldn't lose it, you know, while I was um, down at the Olympics and all that on that bike ride, I thought it might get destroyed somehow or whatever. So I had no actual proof of leaving the country was the British uh, entrance people's position. And although I didn't plan to stay in England, I, I was told they couldn't take that risk because people tried to work illegally there. Sound familiar, anyone? Uh, <clears throat> so I was told that I would have to wait until I had proof that I had a way out of the country planned and the people that had my ticket weren't answering their phones. So it got to be evening. And they said, well, you know, we can't let you in. We're going to just keep you in this um, nice waiting, waiting room. Yeah, euphemistic for holding cell with bars on the windows and a lock on the door, basically jail. <laughs> and I said, okay, you know, I don't mind sleeping inside. I'd actually been camping out a lot. It was very nice of them to offer me a room, but I do have to go on a run first. Is that okay? Um, I actually had a running streak going, which I still have. And did a minimum of a mile and some every day to keep my running streak alive. They said, uh, no, you won't be going anywhere. You're going in this room here. 
And I said, well, you know, you've got my bike, you've got all my money, uh, everything you could possibly want to make sure I come back. Can't you just let me run around the building a few times? No, no, you'll be uh, inside tonight. <laughs> so I, with no other option, was put in the room. It was a long, thin room with three cells to, with beds in them. And apparently someone was in one of them. There was a screen, so I couldn't see who. But it was probably at most 10 yards long, maybe 30, yeah, about 30 feet long, this hallway in front of the three cell doors. And so when they locked me in, I started running back and forth. And uh, the nice part of that was it was on the ceiling of their office. <laughs> These rooms were right above where they were sat at their desks. So I'd gone back and forth, you know, 10 times or so. <laughs> but I, I planned to run for, you know, 20 minutes and make sure it was a mile. And uh, up the stairs came a very unpleasant woman, uh, not a runner by the look of her, who uh, took issue with my making such noise on the roof of her, her office and asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, you wouldn't let me run outside, so I'm running in here as I continued to run. <laughs> So she said, she said something rather racist and offensive about the guy in the room that I couldn't see. He said, well, there's a large black man in there who's not going to be very pleased with you. And I said, oh, really? Well, you can just take that opinion right back down the stairs with you and I'll deal with that and I have to. And she left. And then I just, because I now knew it bothered her, ran um, an hour plus on, on the roof of her office, making making particularly loud. I think I did some high knee drills when I got to each end, you know, so just to make sure she heard every lap. <laughs> yeah, I did that for an hour. And um, it was getting dark by then. I ended up going to sleep in one of the cells. And when I got up, the guy she warned me about was this nice young Belgian guy who was in there for the exact same reason I was, no passport. And we, you know, commiserated and then started doing calisthenics together. And on the floor <laughs> and then while I was doing those they came up the stairs somebody else and said your friend is cold and you're free to go and so I did as quickly as I could but yeah one of the weirder places I've maintained my running streak they were probably more relieved that you got let out than than you were oh uh, yeah I wasn't I was not having a bad time you know <laughs> you can you can exercise anywhere and small spaces aren't that bad as everyone's finding out now right Although I guess some people yeah. really do get sort of stir crazy about being in small spaces. So I feel bad for the quarantined people. So if you yeah. need to run, if you need to run, you have no excuse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably the most I've ever run in a small space. Garmin would have had a tough time with that run. <laughs> Strava and Garmin didn't exist then. Might have told you climb 10,000 feet of elevation for no reason. No, no elevation. I do like my my good friend Roberto Mange loves to show people the Strava report of like a ball of yarn. And it's a soccer game when he ran something like six miles playing a game of soccer. Yeah, he just ran a half marathon that you did too, Anne, right? The virtual New York half. Yeah. Uh, people went out and ran on their own. And Anne Rustak wouldn't tell you this, but she ran 135 by herself, I don't think with a race effort. And uh, Roberto did uh, 128. Uh, I didn't log because I apparently didn't go further enough past the, the distance for it to... Really? Yeah, so it didn't actually count, but uh -huh. I did run 13.1 miles. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, see, that's it. You messed it up. It's 13.11. Yeah, so I missed the one, or I thought I had done the one, but... I believe you. I don't believe if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. <laughs> it did. She actually stopped her clock and then ran another mile. So in yeah. total, she did 14.1, so... Stupid. <laughs> not bad. Not, not bad for solo. Yeah, it's a good yeah. pace, too. Yeah, well, I just found out how well cross-training works. And that's because I had a hamstring injury and did about three months worth of uh, cycling and elliptical. I actually found, even though elliptical is more like running, I found that the cycling, if I didn't clip my feet in, was, was less of a hamstring usage. So I did most of my hard runs and hard workouts on the bike. And I was doing that easy sort of, easy to do, not easy to, easy to find a way to do, not easy to do workout of 10 times a minute hard on the bike with a minute rest and you know my pulse rate goes up to its maximum doing that you know if i set myself some kind of goal of rpms or watts or something and now becoming able to run again i just like i'm saying going back to the base you know it's not as good sometimes as going you know keeping the speed in the program because i've immediately become able to run you know in the low six minute pace without anywhere near the the buildup i would have needed had i not done those bike with yeah, it very definitely transfers over. As I always like to tell people I coach, your heart does not know what's making it beat fast. It sounds like it should be about romance, but uh, it's not just about exercise and cardiovascular workouts. But, you know, your heart doesn't know if it's rowing or swimming or stationary biking or sprinting or whatever else going up a hill. and It'll, it'll work in any capacity. So, yeah, still in shape. Still in shape. We're all still in shape. And everyone else, I hope, stays in shape. You know, this is a depressing situation and all the, you know, people in trouble and people out of jobs and the smaller concerns are things like race is not existing. But I think that in times of trouble, one thing is to remember uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, injunction to first be a good animal. And, and he means like, keep the body working, keep, you know, your, your system healthy and if you're even inside and not able to go meet your running group or go to your gym, you can be like Ali and do push-ups and pull-ups all day. You can, you can use your stairways in your building. You can do, if you had to, run back and forth in a cell. But something, you know? And I think everywhere still lets people run outside. So we cannot get out of shape if we don't want to. And I think that's a really good base, base for life, let's say. You know, you're base training for life is keep your body healthy, keep your, uh, you know, food intake normal. Don't, don't go binge on things or quit your routine or, you know, overindulge in uh, diversions. I've been doing that. I've been so hungry. <laughs> well, you always are. You, you eat like two people's worth. <laughs> it's a nice thing about running. Sort of a secondary pleasure about running is that you don't have to limit what you eat. Yeah. doesn't mean you shouldn't eat good things. But you can eat a lot of them. <laughs> yep. And, um, and I'm a grazer. I kind of eat all day because, yeah. you know, people like us, we're working out, we're running, we're doing strength training. That stuff gets your metabolism going. Yeah. <laughs> can yeah. I take us back for a second? Since we were talking about all the other things, how, how different right now is, right? Everyone's quarantined, stuck. Running is actually a good thing. Like you said, it's open. You can just get out as long as you stay away from people. That is something you can keep doing. 
right? Any other tips for people to keep their sort of, even if they can't keep the normal routine, it, I, and I, I can go first, right? I realized like now since you're quarantined, you're home, you probably have a lot of time. Maybe it's also a time to just take recovery seriously in terms of yeah. you yeah. have the time to do it, right? People have always complained like, oh, you want, now I have to take an Epsom salt bath too and then I have to foam yeah. roll as well. Yeah. But, well, now is possibly the time to actually, you know, kick back and relax and do all of those things because you're, you're home or you, you don't, you don't have, you know, you're not allowed to do that. It's doubly valuable because, well, it's possible, but it's also more necessary because the stress of, of the situation is make, making people not sleep as well. And probably in a way they, they counteract each other well, that you do have more time. There's not as much time for travel, not as much time in the office, things that you had to go do that now you don't, you can put that time to use for those things that everybody complains about not having time for. And, but what I'm saying is kind of uh, conversely, those things may even be more important now because of the stress levels, but I'm definitely doing that. I'm definitely sleeping more where I used to not be able to because, you know, I was trying to take care of five other things and, and uh, eating better when you can get the food you need. I mean, I'm not sure I'm not in New York city right now, but I, and I didn't leave because of the coronavirus, but, I've been talking to friends and things are hard to come by now, but I'm hoping everything's still available in my local health food store. But, um, but yeah, um, you know, uh, I always, I've always thought that endurance athletes were people that would be people to depend on in a crisis because they, they deal with difficulties voluntarily. Yeah. Uh, they look for things that are hard to do and they almost put themselves in a crisis situation un, unasked like an end of a marathon. I mean, you can be in the end of a marathon feeling pretty much like this is, this is like being in a war zone or something. I mean, like something could go really wrong and you could collapse. And, and that's not a thing that the average person deals with, certainly not voluntarily and probably not very regularly. So I don't worry too much about the, the real athletes out there because they, they're used to challenges, they're used to obstacles. But other people, that are really out of sorts from being prevented from doing just about everything they normally do. I can imagine them really needing something like meditation or yoga or an exercise program of some easy kind, um, just to have some structure and health building thing to counteract this, you know, lack of, lack of just about everything that you're familiar with. Yeah. But one, are you one positive anything? thing, of, one positive thing about technology, I was just going to add, like we are recording this, on a Zoom call remotely, all of us in different locations, quarantined in our own areas. Um, but I've seen so many different coaches and even PT places like Custom PT, they're doing, they're hosting live workouts that people can follow. Like, join me tomorrow at 8 a.m. We're gonna do like a 30 minute boot camp kind of thing. And Those even- Like Peloton must be really, uh, you know, getting a lot of customers when they, you know, you have a teacher in the front of a class virtually leading people through some program. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of things have gone online that, that weren't before. It's hard to do a run that way unless you've got an awful lot of treadmills uh, or people on treadmills in a bunch of other places. You can't really take them with you virtually on, on a run, right? 
right? Yeah, I don't think so. Did uh, did John Hannerkamp just do a virtual run on Instagram? He, he was outside just filming the whole time. Well, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine Roberto r- running along with a video camera filming a bunch of people. But, but, I mean, you could still, I feel like you could still go on runs, right? You can run with people six feet apart, 10 feet apart. Not that we're going to get a big race together or a big, you know, interval workout, but people can go on their runs together, I think. Uh, the parks are open. I heard that there was some protests in San Francisco. Some people were told they shouldn't be out running. And then it came back uh, that that was not what had been advised and their, their running was, was recommended and sanctioned by the government, et cetera. But apparently some people had the idea that they were out there spreading disease. Uh, I was wondering if that might start happening. You never know. I mean, runners do tend to spit on things and sweat. <laughs> I don't know if those things are feared yet, but they might be. Although you kind of think someone's out running probably isn't a person that's got the disease. But then again, I've just been hearing that young people tend now never to show a sign. Yep. Never to even look sick, feel sick, know they're sick, and yet could still be completely contagious. Yep. So no one should be out, you know, flouting the rules. That's for sure. I used to think, well, I'm impervious to this. You know, I don't get sick, but that doesn't help the people that would come along after me that I touched something, and then they touched it. And they aren't the person that doesn't get sick. You know, someone that's compromised in some way. Yeah. So, Speaking of touching to, things, I think you guys are really good about not touching your faces. That's pretty good. Have we not yet? I don't think any of us. Have I, I, I don't think so. I haven't noticed. I'm, I'm going to touch. I'm touching your face on the screen. Though. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. It's not digitally transmittable yet. So. No, not yet. Oh God! Although probably <laughs> I think not a computer virus. Yeah, I mean our phones though probably are what's transmitting it so rapidly because our you know don't forget to clean your phone is my point. It's hard to see to feel you know, anything but selfish talking about how to make a good situation out of this. And not in the least do we want to downplay the seriousness for anyone, but there are ways to make it a better situation. And even possibly, like you're saying, ways to use it as kind of a, uh, a rest area, you know, a, a, what do you call it? Like pulling off the road for a bit and refueling, you know, getting things back together, cleaning up your house, your desk, you know, making things work a little more smoothly, and then you're ready for the, for the next, the next lap. It's like going yeah. for a pit stop and getting all the, all the new parts before the race has to resume. Yeah. yeah. I 100% agree with that. It sounds like there is that potential element of thinking about it as like, oh, this is selfish, or this is what I want to do or what we want to do. But whatever we can to keep a sense of normalcy. I think it's important to, you know, keep, keep doing those things. Um, that's one reason we, I think there are a lot of people that would be really comforted to hear Stuart Calderwood on this episode yeah. because yeah. there's, you know, so many of these people that have joined the Great Hill Track Club on the Facebook page They're everyone's sort of excited that we have started this and they all understand that we'll, you know, it will take a little bit of time for us to kind of get this going given the, Right. Circumstances right now, but I think people would really be thankful that that you joined us today. And very well. And Thanks for saying that. But uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to keep in touch a little more. And if anyone wants to write anything on the the uh, website, I'll write back to him. I got to see what Bobby wrote. I didn't see that. But uh, oh yeah, well I just told him the story. He knows that story. 
Yeah. What he wants me to tell him. Yeah, actually, there were a few other people that commented asking for, they're like, oh my God, this story must be really good. If I haven't heard it before, I want to know. So It's been beaten to death, that story. <laughs> but, uh, I always hesitate to say the thing about what the woman in England said about the prisoner, but uh, did, it did definitely lead me to want to bug her a little bit more for her awful response. But um, yeah, you know, let's, let's make it a metaphor for what we're all doing. We've got to keep going no matter what. If we're closed in a small space, we keep going. If we're isolated from everybody else, we keep going. We keep in touch. We even make friends with the fellow prisoners, right? So let's uh, make that a metaphor for a COVID-19 response. We're going to keep in touch virtually. We're going to go out and do our workouts. Let's all keep, like you and I have been, have been telling each other what our workout was that day, you know, sort of. I feel like I'm, I'm in a slight competition with Anne who's saying, you know, 720 days is so easy now. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to break 7 days today. <laughs> I was just sitting there. <laughs> kidding. No, yeah, you know, our, our community stays close, right? We're going to stay, stay a community no matter where we are. And that is a great thing about technology. Let's us do that. So write in any questions you like about running or email me. Refer anybody that wants advice. And yeah, the base training was going to work. You're, you're not going to lose anything. And it is, I guess, you lost those 20 milers. You're not going to be able to put them to use, but because they won't, they won't, their effects won't stay there until October. <laughs> but you now know what you can do in them. Mentally, you know, you know how good they were. And uh, some of us got lucky and get the postponement we needed. Like, I mean, that's another, it's guilty. I think you feel guilty to say it's a benefit, but. Some people probably like that London's going to be in October. Um, I would wish, wish the whole thing hadn't happened on the whole, but once it's there, you know, what's that saying about making lemonade? Mm -hmm. Try to find something good about the situation. Thank you, Stuart. You're welcome. Thank you both. I hope I see Thank you, you so much. You are both still in New York City, right? Yes. Okay. We are. Um, I'm actually headed upstate for a week on Saturday. Okay. Uh, not for a week, for a few days with the potential to making it a week if I need to. Uh, we booked a cabin, by the way, in the Catskills, and this was not intentional, but I found out after the fact that the attic of the cabin has a fully equipped gym. It has a treadmill that I can't use, but it's got what? a stationary bike and a rowing machine. Nice. In a cabin? <laughs> yeah, in a cabin. Yeah, I did not, and I found out after the fact. Oh, I was like, that's oh, wait perfect. A minute. Yeah. What well, were the other things, a bike and a rowing machine? A bike, a stationary bike, a rowing machine, and a treadmill, and a full Bowflex gym. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Remember that one, one of those, I know, yeah. I, it, I, that's the only thing I can reference it to, but it, it, I don't know if it is a Bowflex, but it looks like that with the, uh, it has like, you, like you know, you, yeah, you can do pull-ups and all of that. And it's pretty secluded out in the woods. So I was like, oh, since we're going on like strange places to run, you had an interesting experience in Peru, right? Yeah. Was it in Peru? Yeah. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Well, you mean the really bad experience? I mean, yeah, it was sure. beautiful. I actually got in altitude shape for one of the only times in my life because we're on a place called the Altiplano, which means the high plains. And I was at probably above 12,000 feet for two weeks. So I really did get altitude benefits. But one day, my brother, I was with, a, with my brother on one of our only trips together ever because we don't live anywhere close to each other. But he decided that one summer we should have some kind of bonding experience and go do what he likes to do, which is hike. So I said, sure, as long as I can get a little run in every day, because I have this running streak thing that constantly, you know, makes my life difficult. 
And uh, he said, oh, yeah, anytime, of course. So we are on a day of, you know, hiking up a pretty steep mountainous part of the Altiplano toward the top of a mountain called Ampato. And um, it was very loose rock, sort of called scree. It's sort of shifting pieces of rock, you know, in a sort of a sandy base and not, not at all a place you'd want to have to run. Let, hiking was bad enough. But um, it got toward the end of the day and starting to get a little dark. And my brother says, well, this is it. We've got to stop here. And I hadn't run yet. And I had plenty of time, except I'm looking around me thinking, how on earth am I going to run in this place? And he goes, oh, nothing we can do, bro. You know, this is where we're camping out. You know, thanks a lot. So I started running around. And, you know, the, the rules of the game in the running streak business are if you stop you have to start over unless you've got a mile without stopping so anytime you come to a stop with two feet on the ground you've got to keep you know start completely fresh so that happened to me a couple of times at first i thought this is going to take forever so i have to i found one little area where i could run around you know jumping from rock to rock and did that for like a half an hour so i could be very sure i'd run a mile and uh you know thinking the whole time, if I trip and fall, I've got to start this again and I'm going to want to kill my brother. But um, I did it and, you know, managed to, you know, it's all the honor system. Only I know that I didn't trip and fall. <laughs> but I would have, I've had to start again enough times and hope everyone, you know, people don't believe running street people. They say, well, how do we know? I said, that's not the idea. You know, you don't have to know. <laughs> it's, it's an honor system thing. You can try to imagine what sort of a person would say, I've got a 30, 40, whatever year running streak and didn't have one. Like what would be the benefit there? But anyway, it does become kind of a fun game to see how many weird places you can overcome uh, what would be the normal person's inability to run. Just because you're so desperate, you absolutely have to find a way. So yes, I jumped back and forth between rocks for like half an hour and then, you know, harbored a grudging resentment of my brother for the next few days. <laughs> I'm very sure I asked him when we were going to have to stop after that. Yeah, another example of keeping things going. Yeah, shoot. Right. It's hard. <laughs> Wearing boots, by the way. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah. yeah All right. Uh, well, life's basically one big game, isn't it? It's like trying to, trying to uh, not, not be beaten too much by what we're doing. Keep we leveling all, up. We don't lose in the end, but let's uh, get some stage wins along the way. Get a preem or two, right? To yeah. use cycling terms. I know you guys are cycling fans. And you, didn't you used to follow the tour too? I, I do enjoy the tour, yeah. Yeah, I thought you did. All right. Well, have a good Thank you so much for joining. Thanks. Well, I just want to let the listeners know that if they want to find out more about the Great Hill Track Club, and need to know information, we are chilltrackfriday.com slash GHTC, short for Great Hill Track Club. Um, so all the information's there, but obviously we are in a holding pattern until we know um, when we can start our thing. So you can find out there, join our Facebook group if you're interested after you've signed up, um, and we'll let you know once we are ready to roll. And thank you all who have signed up. If there are people listening who signed up for our first class, sorry about the delay, but we intend to make it very worth your while. It will be a little more hands-on than I've gotten to do in the past, a little more specialized in specific individual stuff and individual attention of a kind that I will love to supply. So 
and like-minded coaches will be doing the same sorts of things. So I think we'll have a good program and I can't wait, but I have to. <laughs> <laughs> We're excited. And All we'll right. see you in two weeks. See you guys.